Hi everyone and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Lodge. It's my job to make the time you're about to give me as valuable as possible. My job here is to share content I've made across my endeavors over the years and ventures as an entrepreneur and bring you stories, lessons and insights from my conversations with some great achievers in business and in personal development. I'm an author, a CEO of the Blue Sky Thinking Group here in Dubai, a really passionate content creator, just so you know. Also, I'm on my own creative journey right now. You know, so much going on. This show is a way for me to funnel out value from all the work my team and I are doing so that we can share it with our audience online in an easy audio format. For those that attend my seminars or follow me on social media, this is just some extra stuff for you guys, okay? Extra material for you to get stuck into on your own journey in business, in sales, personal development, or whatever aspect you're working on on improving your life. In today's episode, I'll be doing exactly that by sharing an interview that I did with a phenomenal guy. Now, being a Manchester United fan, this is why it's so much more special to me. Mikhail Silvestra, it was recorded uh, in the summer of last year. Mikhail actually is a, is a serial entrepreneur, and a lot of people don't know about that. He's uh, more well-known as being a Manchester United legend, played football for Manchester United, Arsenal, Inter Milan, Werder Bremen, and, and then eventually Portland Timbers, and even he went over to India at the end of his career. So he's played for the biggest clubs. He also played in the World Cup for France. He got a runners-up medal in the World Cup. So this is, this is someone who's... Um, who's really excelled in the world of football. The interview lasts approximately uh, 35 minutes, and I really enjoyed it because I learned so much about what footballers go through when they finish being in you know, the, a professional footballer, when they retire, essentially, because they retire so young and they have a whole life ahead of them after their sports career ends. And so I learned so much from Mikel about what he had to do and what he decided to do. And it was, for me, really interesting that you know he did the right thing um, and made re- many decent decisions because he had the right support around him, but most people don't. And uh, most professional footballers get to the end of their career and don't have the right support and direction and end up doing the wrong things. And a lot of them blow their money, sadly, and uh, are left with little or nothing. If you've enjoyed several of the podcasts, um, or if even if this is your first one, okay, I'd really love for you to rate and review the show, ideally a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, or some love on SoundCloud comments, that would be wonderful as well. If you could do that, I'd be so, so grateful. It all helps to get the show more discovered. So if you're ready to get stuck in, and I really hope you enjoy this interview with Mikhail Silvestre, and remember, at the end of the interview, I'll be back to tell you more about how the interview took place, what I've learned and applied, and share a few notes about the content. But without further ado, the incredible Mikael Silvestre. Jolly good. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. Thank you. I'm going to ask you a million questions. Okay. Okay, I'm going to let our audience learn all about you. Do you still like talking about football in today's day and age? I mean, you're retired now. You're a businessman and stuff. Is it something you're still interested in talking about? Or kind of like, is that your past? Um, yeah, I'm always interested. I'm watching more football than I used to when I was playing uh, because I like to, to analyze the game, the coaching, the decision, uh, and the business also behind behind the scene and the consequences on the pitch as well. So I try to look at, at both. 
And when you were younger and you were in the game, did you look at it completely differently to how you do now? Did you never ever think about the commercial aspect and the business aspect of football as a player? No, definitely. I was just a consumer. Uh, I was part of it. I was an employee. I had contracts, but I was just looking at my career, looking maybe uh, at the next opponent. We look at competitions overall, but I wasn't as looking at details as I'm looking now. So let's tell the story. You leave football after all of these years of fantastic success. You must have had um, a great feeling of what you achieved over the years and how well you'd done. I mean, internationally, as long with playing for the biggest football clubs in the world. What kind of emotions does someone who has had that much kind of success and that much adoration, what kind of emotions do you go through when your career ends? Is it something like falling off a cliff or is it almost like, you know, it kind of winds down slowly and you start then thinking about the future slowly? How does it work? I think, first of all, you have to look at uh, what football means to me growing up. Uh, my cousin played also for a French national team. He's had four, uh, 13 caps, more than 500 games in the French league. And my dad also played football, or my cousin, my family. So football was just natural for me. And it was about pleasure. My dad never said, you're going to be a football player, um, a professional. And I never set any target about being a professional myself. So it just came along and all I was interested is uh, testing myself and, uh, and reach the highest level possible. So I was uh, fortunate, but I worked hard to reach that level, especially with United and then French national team. Great moments, winning trophies, fantastic. So a lot of highs in my career, some lows with the injuries and sometimes where you're sitting on the bench. But overall, when uh, you see the end arriving, um, you don't know how to deal with it. Even if you try to be prepared, um, really the tough one is the day you're going to wake up and not going to training. And you're like, whoa, that's going to be a long day. <laughs> what I'm going to do now? <laughs> it's yeah. really, it's really tough. Really. I suppose you're part of this kind of gang, aren't you? This this group of of men. Yeah, you're part you're part of a team. You're always uh, part of a group, so you're part of a project. You're part of a plan, and suddenly you're on your own. You're on your own. You lose a banter. You lose a planning. You lose uh, all this atmosphere where you are part of a team. So, I think for me that's the hardest. Be on your own. It's not necessarily be at home because you can do this and that, but it's being by yourself. You have your family, but. Your wife go to work, the kids go to, go to school, and you're by yourself, uh, and you, you talk to yourself, and that's, that's all you can do. And what do, do the clubs that help you prepare for that kind of stuff? Do they have you know, other players that are one or two or three years ahead of you that have been on that journey? Do they help you prepare and understand what's going to happen? Or is it really like you say, it's kind of like you wake up and it's like, no, that's you, it? There's none of the clubs I've been, I've been playing for, and I think I've been to different places, different continents, different leagues. And, no, there is no club that prepare uh, the, the players to, to retire because you don't know how many will actually from your squad will retire at the end of the season. So it's not something that clubs are, are trying to, to help the players with. Now, now, men are notoriously bad at keeping in touch, unlike women that seem to be able to do that very easily. Was it the same for you? You, you leave football and, the, you know, because that, that team, you're, you're friends, I'm sure, in that, that group as well. Do you, do you lose touch with a lot of them very quickly? Yeah, you lose touch, um, I wouldn't say with everybody. Um, I'm fortunate to come to an era where uh, we've got this Legends game, so we meet each other 
at least once a year. Uh, so we keep in touch and now with all the social media and connectivity you can be in touch with your ex-teammates, uh, the one you want to. <laughs> And even uh, even the one you don't want to, <laughs> you have to. <laughs> now, so you stay in touch with some people. Fair enough. When you, when you woke up that morning and you realised you were no longer a professional footballer, you were now a retired professional footballer. What was the first thing you did? I didn't have that. I didn't have such a long period where I had nothing to do because I had side projects. So I kept myself occupied with this. But then straight away I jumped into uh, a, a new position, different career as a, as a sporting director in, in France. And so I had maybe a four months gap where I wasn't in the position, actually going to work, be part of a project, be part of a, of a team. So um, I was lucky and I got myself ready into, into the job by myself as much as I could. Because I was living in the States, so that was in 2015, I was taking the job in July. I did some research on, uh, on the club, even if I knew the club, because that's where I started in, in France back in 93. Uh, I made some research and tried to, to see where, where the club was at and what could be uh, the project and the, the things I would like to, to work on. What makes you qualified to go from the position you were in to becoming a sporting director in a football club? Is it just, do they, they say, right, you've got lots of experience, you've done very well, um, we, we know you, we think you'd fit the job. Did you think, oh, I'm qualified for that? Or did you think, oh, hold on a minute, this is, this is bigger than me right now? It is, uh, that's exactly what I felt. I thought, okay, I've got the background, I've got some history with the club, so in terms of legitimacy, yeah, it would be okay. In terms of experience, okay, but in terms of, I mean, experience of the game, but experience of the role, zero. So I was a bit um, nervous, you know. So as soon as I made my first speech in front of all the employees when I got introduced by the president, I said, look, guys, done my career, I've done well for myself, but now I'm going to need you <laughs> to help me because I was supposed to work with each parties of the, of the club, each sectors. Uh, the pros, the academy, the administration, also the media, the lawyers and, and all this. So I said, I'm going to need you. And so did anyone in there take you under their wing and say, right, come on, I, I, I'm going to teach you this. Or did you say to yourself, I, I, I'm not qualified to do this. I need to go and further, further my studies. And that's an unusual thing for a lot of people to do at a retirement age. But was that something that you thought, this is what I'm going to have to do? Well, the, the president, uh, as soon as I accepted, he said, OK, fine, but you're going to be needed some learning about especially accounting, proper administration, the boring stuff. <laughs> and I said, fine, OK. <laughs> but then I, I, I went back to him and I said, look, there's a good master's in sports management out of the uh, University of Limoges in the middle of France. Zidane followed it, Laurent Blanc. So even if they, they wanted to be co coaches, like managers, this is the business side of the business. So I said, this is a two-year course. Uh, let me do it while I'm in, uh, in my position. It's only once a month. You have to be away for, for a week. So that's how I felt, uh, I felt good and, and the confidence started growing. When you first started that course, were you thinking, 
maybe the first two weeks in, were you thinking, wow, hold on a minute, there's a whole lot here that I didn't really know about and uh, I wasn't expecting this? Or was it something that you kind of embraced and said, you know, this is a whole new world, I'm just going to take it all in? No, the fact that uh, it was a small class of 18 expert athletes, all, uh, all of us were in the same position and the first day you have the ones who've been there before, they come in and they testify. And for me, the, the biggest hurdle would be uh, the writing because as soon as you stop uh, school, you, all you do is writing bullet points. And suddenly you have to write <laughs> paragraphs and paragraphs. So that was my, my worry. But yeah, after you know the baccalaureate, it was social and science. Baccalaureate, I, I did a little bit of English course. My English is okay now. <laughs> um, I've learned Italian, but yeah, it was, I mean, going back to school uh, and, uh, like 20, 18 years later, so it was, uh, it wasn't easy. Yeah, it must be tough because it's, anybody going to school after that many years, it's challenging, it's isn't it? It's challenging. It's challenging to um, to focus for an hour and a half uh, because most of the course were an hour and a half, two hours. So sometimes you had <laughs> in the afternoon. <laughs> Some of us you would uh, fall a little bit on the chair. <laughs> and how much of it was practical and how much of it was classroom? Was it all just classroom, or was there practical things for you to do too? It was, uh, I would say, 80% was classroom. 80%? Yeah. So it was properly going back to school, yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. it? Yeah, properly going back to school, yeah. Yeah, I came here 12 years ago to Dubai and I, and I wanted to learn Arabic. Mm. And, uh, you know, what was I when I came here 12 years ago? 37, uh, 35 when I came here. And that, even then, at 35, that was really hard to start learning Arabic and going back and sitting in a classroom, yeah. and focusing on syllabuses and, and, you know, and the books and stuff and concentrating. I mean, I don't know what happens to us as we get older. Our attention span seems to kind of uh, wane a little bit. So that focus is hard to, you know, to get into place. Was clearly it is, it is hard to, to, to stick to the, your chair because uh, you've been playing, uh, you move all the time, right? And now you have to, suddenly you have to stay at your table and, and sit and listen quietly. <laughs> it was difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, so then you've taken that course, you, 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 you pass the course, you feel empowered, you've got the knowledge, and so you've learned something new, and obviously you must feel good about getting through that. Was lots of what you learned very practical in terms of how you could then apply those skills, or was lots of it maybe not as valuable as, as, as some of the tools that you really did need? There was a lot of good stuff in there, really. After, when, when you finish, you're like, I'm ready for any type of role, not only uh, in football, not only one club, it could be a federation, it could be a league, it could be any other organization. But then there was also some repetition. I think um, I would say 60% of the course was uh, related on, on football. And with the experience, a lot of stuff, I knew about it. But still, there was some uh, specification about uh, the French law uh, that I needed to, to learn. and. Overall, I'm really happy I've done it. Hmm. How long ago was that? Two years. Two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. So you finished? Well, I, mean, no, I, finished I finished in September. I graduated, I graduated in, in Just September. Last, this, yeah. What, last month or yeah. last year? Yeah, last month. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now you've, you've passed that and you've got your graduation. You're over here in Dubai. What on earth prompted you to come to Dubai? Um, it's not any, any type of position. It's choice of life for the family. It's difficult, but I was like, okay, I'm 38, 39, or 40. What I want to be achieving, or when I when I look back at 50 or 55 or 60 year old, I want to look back into those years and 
and make sure I've, I've done the most to enjoy uh, the family life, being there for the kids and, and uh, live in an environment where I can enjoy myself. So do a lot of sports, enjoy the sun, the outdoor. I mean, we've been living in Oregon, so that was fantastic for two years. There was the uh, winter part uh, we are a big fan of, uh, but uh, we can fly to Lebanon and, and okay. ski there with our friends or some other places. I think Dubai is a, is a good place to live and, 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 and for the kids to, to grow up, it's, uh, it's a fantastic opportunity. So what do you do here? You've been, you've been at a sporting director's type role, you've gone and studied, you then come here. And, and when I look at lots of professional footballers, it's almost like they fall, they fall off a cliff in terms of their career. Maybe they cope with it different psychologically and emotionally, but lots of them it seems to be they, they disappear into the wilderness. But some become quite entrepreneurial. They realize that they've probably earned a lot of money in a short period of time compared to probably other people having it spread out over 40 years. Do, do, do most people make good use of their, their money? Have they saved their money and plan with it? Did you think about that a long time ahead of it? Or did you get to the end and say, I need to be a bit careful here now? Was it, when, when was it that you realized that you had to be sensible about what, what you were earning and how you were using that? I think straight away from, uh, from my first big earnings, um, because my parents also were looking after their small budget, I think. I started looking at my budget and uh, straight away when I, was, when I played in Rennes, I wasn't yet a professional, but um, I was earning a, a decent, decent wage as a, an academy, an apprentice. Uh, so I bought some, maybe an office in an uh, office building in, in Rennes. And from now on, uh, that was what I was doing. Like you said, a lot of players the statistic is horrendous. You know, 80% of us within five years after the end of the career end up with nothing. So that's very scary. And 80%? Yeah, uh, mainly due uh, to uh, bad investment, divorce. So you have players now earning a lot of money, but it's only the top clubs. And then the rest, they struggle because it's, it's not that much money. And on top of that, you have the problems that comes earlier than everybody because soon in your career you're still young, you're 25, 30 years old, you, you go into investment, you go through fame and you have to deal with it and a lot of players are struggling, yeah. When you think about your wife, and you know, you've had four kids so that's a, that's a, a full-time job for a wife plus one, mm -hmm. plus two, plus yeah, three. Yeah, plus you know, me the, going everywhere. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Your wife's got some entrepreneurial flair uh, with the businesses that she's recently set up. What kind of influence has your wife had over you in terms of moving forward in the right direction after leaving football? Well, she has a strong character. She's always pushing. I'm quite laid back. You know, I'm from the Caribbean. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to spring that spread the stereotype, but still, <laughs> I think we are pretty laid back in the Caribbean. And uh, she goes and uh, she says to me, no, you have to take every opportunity uh, and network with people and engage and, and share your experience. So I'm going into a different direction at the moment. I love the media work uh, because, again, uh, it brings me back to the game and, and analyzing the game and also the business part of it because we're talking so much about the business and how big the football uh, business is growing especially in the region with PSG being owned by Abu Dhabi family. And then we have, sorry, 
Man, Man City, PSG, PSG, Doha. Uh, so uh, it's interesting for me to do the media. It's interesting for me maybe to start uh, an academy in Dubai. And yeah, meeting a lot of people is, I mean, Dubai for, for networking is fantastic. There's lots of kids here. There's lots of academies also. Yes. Okay, it seems to have kind of, I mean, I've been here 12 years and it seems to have cropped up in the last seven or eight years, these academies from La Liga through to different uh, football clubs. How competitive is that market? Or are there enough kids to satisfy everybody? There is, I think there is enough kids, but that's what I've been told. So <laughs> well, we learn quickly. <laughs> but yeah, there is a demand. I think sports is, is important for youth and you see now with the initiative of the Crown Prince, one month from uh, starting October 20, pushing people to do 30 minutes of fitness every day. Mm -hmm. There is a real, um, the real desire, and it's not for fame, it's not for attracting other businesses in Dubai. There is enough businesses. It's really to bring sport into people's life because it makes a big difference. You have a personal trainer. I train myself. Fresh body brings you a fresh, fresh mind. Absolutely. So you've got this, this, this idea of setting up this academy and this academy then is going to trade on the back of the success of you and your name and people are going to want, our kids are going to want to come and train because of you, the, the soccer star, which is, which is fantastic. Is there enough money in that type of business f to satisfy an ex-professional footballer? Is that type of thing, uh, is that a, a labour of love more than it is a professional career? The aim is not really, you don't want to lose money. For sure, <laughs> but it's a good start. Um, yeah, most people do. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it's a good start. You're right, but uh, we will see because I, I'd rather have uh, quality than than quantity. It's also because uh, I'm, I might be running at, on a limit limited space, so I won't be able to uh, to bring a lot of kids like uh, a La Liga, for example. Uh, but my idea is to really to um, to have a synergy in connection with the local clubs. You know. I think it's important if you are, with what I can bring to the table, I don't want to do uh, Mika Silvestre Football Academy and that's it, just looking at myself. So I've been visiting some clubs already, I've been connecting with the Dubai Sports Council mm -hmm. and we will try to find a way where we can have a workshop and where the academy uh, from Al Nassar, from Al Ali, from all the clubs Alain, from the UE can, can come and we will share. We will share the, the knowledge and all the participants will, uh, will have access to hopefully the, the best of the best. So that sounds quite promising. Let's just have a talk about these other businesses that you're involved with because your wife clearly has got some form of entrepreneur. Maybe I should interview your wife. <laughs> maybe she, <laughs> you maybe should. she should come in and have a chat with us. But tell, tell us, about, there's a business that you've got called Life that's been set up how long ago? Two months ago. So it's really new? It's really new. Yeah. Okay, so what is it? So it's on the back of our life. Uh, I mean, it's, we're still young, but we've been uh, traveling a lot. We've been living in different continents. So France, Italy, England, Germany, Portland, USA. We lived in India as well. And besides living, we've been traveling. We, we love traveling with the, with the family. So we have a lot of connections. And um, now we want to uh, just um, share the connections, share the businesses and the people we've met on a professional basis. So it's consulting, it's lifestyle management for people and for corporate as well. Okay. So that's the idea. 
And that business being set up two months ago is going to be run by your wife solely? Are you involved in the day-to-day -day running yourself? So my wife will be the managing director and mm -hmm. I will be involved in the uh, division for athletes, pro athletes, mainly football players, you mm -hmm. know, if I can help them. Uh, going back to, to that statistics about keeping your wealth after you retire. So I can I could manage some players, their career and help them to to keep growing after their career and not not fall down. So you're gonna focus on that. Your wife focuses on this other on this other aspect of the business. After being a mum for as many years as she, well, she's still a mum anyway, after being focused as a mum, is it really exciting for her to get back into work again? And have you seen her kind of like highly motivated and enjoying the fact that she's getting stuck into something new? Yeah, she can't wait to, to get started. You know, she's excited. She always wants to, to meet people and, and start doing things and, and find solutions for people, try to connect one, one another. And yeah, she, she's very excited about it. Also, you've got another project, which is the, the rum project, which is some bars? Yeah. Okay, so tell me how that came about. That was a side project when I was playing, and so I was playing for Arsenal, and the idea came, uh, came out of uh, a discussion with some friends and reflecting on what could I do after I play football. So my roots bring me back to half, wave, half in France and half in, uh, in the Caribbean. And I became a, a rum aficionado. I'm not drinking a lot, but I, lo I love it. I love the flavors, and I like to, to discover things in the rum uh, environment. And the idea came out to, um, to start a brand, a luxury brand uh, of rum, because uh, in the uh, public eyes, especially in France, rum is, is, is the industry of uh, slavery, you know, the association. Ah, okay. is, is, so that's why it's not highly pushed and, and looked like champagne is very classy and stuff. So the rum has always it's been a product where you look at the, at the bottom of the shelves, you know? Uh, got you. Uh, so the idea was like, okay, if uh, a vodka, not to name it uh, Grey Goose, can have <laughs> the French flag and become a luxury yeah. product when it's only a product that comes out of the potatoes. Yeah. I'm sure that rum, <laughs> the, the, way, the way it's, it's done and, and, and distilled and, uh, and the history behind it, I'm sure we can, we can try to, to make it a luxury product. Well, if you take an example, I suppose George Clooney had that tequila brand, didn't he? That yes. he sold recently. Only, I know he had only for a billion, yeah. Only for a billion, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't know what the journey was, but again, I think many years ago, maybe we're both exposed to this because we're not too dissimilar in age. I remember tequila as being something that you did as a shot yeah. and nothing more. And so I never saw that as a high-class product, but he went about smart marketing to create, obviously, a high-class product, and they sold that for a great sum of money. When you see that story, does it excite you and motivate you to think of the possibilities with the rum brand? Yeah, definitely. When you look at Gregu's story, you look also at Patron's stories. Uh, the guy was, was broke, uh, mm -hmm. living in the street. Uh, and, was it? And then for 10 years, he was giving bottles away. So it takes, we say to establish a, a spirit, it takes 10 years. So we have whether it's been five years, still working on it. But yeah, it, it is exciting. and. It's something that I like. I do it by passion. So when I go into events or, or, or fair or conference, it's easy for me to, to talk about it. It's natural. So, it's natural. It's like football. Yeah. It's kind of like 
you, you're unusual though, aren't you? Would you would you would you agree with me on this, or are you going to sit down and be very you know very modest about it? Are you are you, are you an unusual ex-retired footballer? I don't know. You meet them. I don't know. Well, the one, the one, the, when you say eighty percent, I knew the percentage was high. I didn't know it was eighty percent. When when I meet and talk to them, I find that there's there's this yearning to want to feel part of something, and invariably they make bad decisions because they're trying, they're, they're trying to be part of something some way, somehow. I'm staggered about how they can all end up broke because invariably a lot of them don't make their own investment decisions, they have managers. And they're, they're, they're leaning on their managers or management team for advice. And so what does that say? That, that, worries, yeah. that worries me a lot. Yeah, yeah, Who are they listening to? Yeah. And, and if 80%, then most people are listening to people that don't know what they're doing. If you had a group of 21-year-old academy footballers from any of the clubs that you've played for before and you had the opportunity to sit down with them and spend an hour with them giving them some tips of what not to do what kind of you give them three tips what three tips would you give them like really important based upon what happens after their career try to select your entourage try to look ahead in 10 years in 20 years in 30 years who's going to be there who can you can you name four or five person besides your family who will be there in 20, 30 years. Can you name them? Yeah, very good point. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's difficult when you are 18, 20 years old, you said 21, huh? to identify these people and it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. Mm. That's why you need guidance and you need to be lucky as well. I mean, some, some of the players who are ruined now, they've been, uh, they've been looked after parents also. Yeah, parents taken away all the all the investments, mm. yeah, it's up and you have stories like this. So look at your entourage, don't invest in one uh, venture, don't put all your money on... One opportunity essentially, yeah. Yeah. eggs yeah. in one basket. Yeah, 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 spread your eggs, spread your eggs. And number three, look after your image. You can't be yourself, like, be, be yourself behind closed doors, not in the public eye. No matter what you do, no matter how innocent it is, it gets turned around and yeah, and you it get gets uh, the bad. You get the bad press, and you can you can lose uh, a lot. Like Benzema, for example, right now he's not playing for national team. That was one story, but you have so so many. It's such a shame. Yeah, such a shame that people, even at that very top level, aren't necessarily getting the guidance and support they need for things that are so critical after their what we would. To be honest about is that a short football career comes to an end. It's ten years, yeah. uh, more or less. You know, on average, it's ten years. You, you have to uh, to earn um, enough for your for your life. Well, if you can. Can you think of any lesson you learned from whichever coach or manager you worked under that was relevant for you in your business career? Is there any lesson that you thought, you know, when you look back now, obviously at the time you don't think about it because it's all related to football, but did Alex or Arsenal or anybody else have lessons that they were teaching you that actually were applicable to your life in the future as well, even though it wasn't directly aimed at that at the time? I think uh, there's a lot of lessons, you know, they're just natural lessons. So they're hard workers, they come, they come to the training ground before and they, they leave after everyone. So you have to work hard, first lesson. You have to be uh, fair uh, with everyone, especially when you're looking after a team. If you want the respect from everyone, you need to treat everybody the same. And I think what they were very good at is, was to uh, manage the highs and the lows. 
you know when you when you are under so much scrutiny and um, pressure there was a lot to deal with uh, with uh, different people the staff players and uh, the business staff as well but they were very good at managing um, all these moments different moments yeah and you can now take those experiences yourself and say, right, if I face that in the future myself, I mean, if you build a team with either of those companies you've got, then, then quite simply, you can apply some of those lessons then. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. You're here in Dubai now, okay? People are going to see you out and about. It, do you get the same type of connection with fans now you're a retired player? Do you still have people come and talk to you and say, hi, can I, you know, can I get your autograph? Can I get a photo with you and stuff? Do you get that or do you get people now looking at you going, I know him, but I can't remember exactly where I know him from. <laughs> I have, I have still the same connection. The fact that I'm, I'm on TV for Champions League as well on, on being sport helps for people not to scratching their heads too long. <laughs> but I do have that. You know, it's you. You can see that through the generations now. The ten-year-old, they don't know who I am, so they have to go when it's mainly the parents. Take a picture with with Michael. He was a big name for for Manchester United in France. And that's that's the way it goes. Uh, I think you can. I just appreciate every moment, even if sometimes I don't want to do it. I smile. I do the picture. I talk to people, and, and it's annoying for my kids. They're waiting. They're pulling my hand. Daddy, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing again? <laughs> that is part of what goes. It's, to the part, it's part. Uh, I think it's part of. It's part of the legacy, and you see, you people are happy. You know, when you take the time. Uh, 30 seconds a minute to talk to them, take a, a picture, because now everybody has a, has a cell phone and uh, you can't escape uh, the selfie. So there you have it, my interview with Mikhail Silvestra. I really hope you enjoyed it. It was worth the time and you learned a lot more about Mikhail's story, his industry and his life as a, a public figure. So a little more on how this interview came about. I met him first actually through a friend of mine here in Dubai. It was quite an interesting situation. I asked, I, my, my friend that had coached Mikhail was through some training and done some work with him. And I said, could I please interview him? I expected the answer to be no, if I'm honest. <laughs> but he said, yeah, no problem at all. And what I wanted to do was not do a typical interview with a professional footballer or a retired one, sorry. I wanted to do an interview about what goes on after football for people that have been in that public eye for as long as they have. So during the interview, I remember thinking, you know, how much more there was to his story and how much it revealed about his life uh, and his industry. Uh, and how kind and welcome he was, you know, he was just so cool, so nice. We've become friends ever since, so that's, you know, that's, that's how much of a nice guy he was. I think about the three key takeaways. For me, it was learning about, you know, when you leave one career and you start another, it doesn't have to be, you know, as empty as some people find it, that you're going to be okay on your own. And, you know, study. Mikhail went and studied, you know, he went and did his master's in sports management so he could progress his career and that's not what a lot of people do you know a lot of people kind of take what they've learned and try and implement what they've learned in some other area but he went back to school and for me you know always being a student and always learning was really valuable and watching him do that was great so I think that that was a real important point for me but also to see that he's a smart guy you know you know built up these different businesses. Life is one of them. The other one is his uh, St. Bart's rum brand. And to see him going into different areas and building different brands, 
don't get me wrong, he has a, a force to be reckoned with of a wife called Sev who's behind him and four fabulous kids. But to see his drive and passion to grow, uh, I know Mikel now is a football agent working out of London. So he's not just a footballer. He doesn't fit into that mould that we sometimes assume footballers to be, you know, just guys that play football and get paid a lot of money for doing so. He used his skill, his knowledge, and then he went back to study some more so he could be better with his life after football. And I think he's only 41 now, so he's only really very young. Right, so if you've enjoyed this podcast or you've got any feedback, please drop me a note via social media. You know, either way you want to get a hold of me on Facebook or Instagram, I don't mind. Facebook is Spencer Lodge Official. Instagram is Spencer.Lodge. I think you'll find me out there. So please, 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 you know, give me some feedback. I'd love to hear anything you've got to say, any feedback you want to give me positively, even constructively, let's say. It would be really, really great that you did give me that feedback. On top of that, if you are listening to this on iTunes, then... I would love for you to give me a five-star review. That would be fantastic. Or if it's on SoundCloud or anywhere else, leave me a comment. Let me know what you think of the show. And if I can be any more valuable to you, then let me know what it is. I want to get more people to hear this show and uh, let other people benefit from the stories of these successful entrepreneurs, famous people. And really, yeah, take something from it themselves. Thank you very much. And I'll see you again on the next episode of the Spencer Lodge podcast.